Good morning, everyone. It is good to see you guys. Uh, some of you guys are very new to FCC because I, I recognize your faces. I just don't know your names yet. But there are some people that uh, are old school FCCers uh, that have been in the house. Um, we actually have one that still volunteers for our church, even though she lives in Ventura. And she does our, some of our online greetings several times a month. Carol, just thank you for all you do. God bless you. You know, and, uh, you know, and FCC's got a lot of really talented musical people here, you know, like the Hayes and Pastor Ty, and we've also got the Boulevards here, Teresa and Tony Boulevard, so welcome to town. Thank you guys for coming and, and still being as part of our family. Um, and, and whether you've been here for your first time or whether you've been here for a long time, you guys are family. Um, one thing I want you to know about me is that I am a talker. Okay, I'm the loudest guy in every meeting. I've had 10 times more things to say. Um, but what I'm really asking you guys today is to hang with me today, okay? Hang with me because um, we've been going over the parables of Jesus. And Jesus used these stories, right, to, to just to make things clearer for us, easier for, uh, for us to understand, you know, really getting to the heart of the matter. Um, last week, Pastor Ty did a great job talking about a parable we don't really hear about, about the two sons uh, in last week's message, um, that was in, I think it was in Matthew, um, and Matthew has about 23 stories or parables that Jesus uses. Well, Luke has 24, so mine is bigger, okay? <laughs> so uh, that's why they have me talking about this today. It isn't the first time um, that I've talked about uh, this parable, but this is really important. Some of you guys are young. Actually, um, we were in a U-Haul yesterday, and yesterday I got to see my kids for the first time use a hand roll-down window. And, and, bro, they were super clunky at it. It was like, eh, eh, eh. I'm like, dude, you're just going a freaking circle. What is wrong with you? You know, and they're like, eh, it's so weird. You know, well, there used to also be this thing in your car, and it was called a timing belt. Okay, and a timing belt was really, really important. You ever hear that guy when his, uh, when his car does that one? Okay, you got you to check your timing belt. You know, and that's because it keeps everything, like your kind of heart keeps everything going in you. Uh, you know, what we're going to talk about today is going to make sure that your timing belt, um, the way that you look at God and the way that God looks at you is really important. And we're going to talk about that today because this needs to get really down into your core. Okay? This has really been ministering to me. Um, every time I think about this, it's just, um, I, I just forget about how good God is. So will you pray with me really quick? Heavenly Father, God, you are a God of abundance. Everything that we have comes from you. Um, Father, I just pray that today that you would uh, speak to me and through me, Father God, that these would be your words um, and that this would really, really, really sink down because it's in this place where this truth really needs to be, Father God, that everything comes out of all of our energy, all of our ideas, all of our talents um, should spring from this one area um, about who you are and who we are to you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, your son who loves us. Amen. All right. So today, okay, just sit back guys. All right. Uh, today I want to talk to you a few moments, okay, about what God thinks about when God thinks about you. What God thinks about when God thinks about you. So when you think, what does God think about when God thinks about me, what do you guys think about? What do you guys think about? Now, this is a really big thought, but, um, it, and it's a bit of a tongue twister, but I think it'll come clearer as we move in our time because what you think about, what God thinks about, when God thinks about you, has a huge impact on the way that what you think about when you think about God. 
And it really shouldn't be that way. I mean, for most of us, and when we think, what does God think about when God thinks about me, we kind of sort of bounce these ideas off things that we shouldn't have, uh, that we shouldn't, because it really influences the way that we view God. So as we get started, what do you think? What do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? Okay, let's talk about a few things that I think influences the way that we think God thinks when he thinks about us. Now, the biggest thing I think that influences the way that we think God thinks about when he thinks about us. Um, now, this is so strange. And as we go over this, you're going to know intuitively deep down that this isn't the way to go. But it's kind of what we do. Um, I generally think that God thinks about me what I think about me. Okay? Um, so, uh, if you're having a, uh, if I'm having a great day, and I don't know what a great day is for you, for me, I'm go, go, go guy, and that, those, are, those are great days, but maybe it's a day, I don't know what, it, what, it, what a good day for you is morally or ethically. Let's say um, if you're a Christian, um, maybe you woke up and you read your Bible early, you know, had some, spent some time with God. You know, maybe uh, you didn't really yell at your spouse today or your kids, you know, you were just firm with them, you know, um, you, know you, were, you were honest at work, you know, uh, maybe help somebody change a tire, and you've basically had a good day. And, you know, you think God is kind of happy with you. And then you have a bad day. And you know he's not happy with you. Okay? You know, that old habit has crept back in and you're feeling some guilt and shame. Or maybe you're harsh with your spouse. Uh, you know, uh, you weren't exactly honest at school. You know, you didn't disclose everything on the deal at work. You know, and you kind of have this cloud of guilt. And when you're not happy with you, you just assume that God is not happy with you. Now, this is really strange really weird, really strange. We think and operate that God, the God of the universe, takes his cues from us. Okay? Now, we really don't believe that, but that's kind of how we operate. Um, you know, we, we, we think that God, basically what God thinks about us is kind of like a big reflection or mirror of what we think about. So here's, here's a big idea. What if God doesn't take his cues about you from you. That's a way to look at things differently. Here's another thing I think that influences the way that God thinks about us when he, when he does think about us um, is, um, is, is um, I'm sorry, where am I at here? Oh, I'm sorry. We learned a long time, is, is the way that we act. We learned a long time ago as children that our behavior matters, right? I mean, our behavior influences the way that people thinks about us. Um, it sets us up to make and keep great friends, and our behavior, behavior sets us up to be successful relationally, whether it's in romantic relationships or just relationships in general. So it's natural for us to think that, well, since how I act matters to everybody else, it surely must, um, my behavior must matter to God. And I bet when God um, thinks about me, he picks up this filter or lens of my behavior, okay, and he thinks about me through the lens of how good I've been. Um, the other thing I think that's similar that influences the way that God thinks about us is the way that culture views us in general. You and I also learned a long time ago that if you don't perform well, things don't go very well for you. I mean, you guys have got to perform in school. Some of you guys do perform in sports. You guys all wake up, you know, and you have to perform at work. Some of you may feel that you have to perform in your marriages, Okay, um, maybe some of you guys were always being compared to um, your, your older brother or your younger sister. And some of you may never have experienced love that was not performance-based. 
okay? Maybe it was the way you're raised. I mean, it's not a choice that you made. This was kind of the cards that were handed to you. So it's natural for a lot of us to think that what God thinks about us when he thinks about us is measured on our performance. Um, we may not live like that, um, and we may not think that, but we, 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 it starts coming out in the way that we live our lives. Now, what all of these three things have in common, okay, what I think about me, what others think about me, and what culture thinks about me is this little word, do. Do. We tend to think and operate as if God looks at me through the lens of what I do. Okay, now, what if that's wrong? Okay, what if God doesn't take his cues from you about you or from your friends or from culture about you? What if God works on a completely different system, a different uh, relational economy than we do, a different scale? So today, I want to tell you what God thinks about when God thinks about you. You know, when I say that, if there's something in you that says, wait a second, well, you don't know me. You know, you don't know what, what I've done. See, what you're doing is what we all do. Okay, we pick up this big lens, this big filter, and we think that God looks at me through my behavior, my actions, and my character. And you think that since I don't know you, that I can't possibly tell you what God thinks about you. And you think that certainly God must still look at me well through that, that filter and that lens of, of, of what I do. Okay, I want to spend just a few moments with all that I can to explain to you that that is wrong, okay? We all default to that. I completely understand. I'm not here to point the finger at anyone. I've been on both sides. So here's what God, and well, Scripture is very, very clear of this, okay? Here's what God thinks about when God thinks about you. Are you ready? He loves you, and he couldn't love you anymore, okay? And nothing you do can make him love you any less, you know, and some of you, I mean, guys, think about this. God loves you no matter what you've done. But God does not love you because of what you've done. Now, some of you, my Bible nerds, may be like, well, you know, James and Ephesians, you know, that's kind of, let's just stay on this thought for a minute. Uh, let's come around this idea that maybe, maybe, maybe our behavior doesn't impact the way God views us. What if that were true? Okay. Now, the reason I can tell you with confidence that God flat out loves you isn't because I have some special insight. It's because of Jesus. And when you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts that we have of Jesus' life, and you open the Gospels and, and you look at his life, here's what you'll find. Is that Jesus liked to hang around people that were nothing like him. Okay. And that people that were nothing like Jesus loved to hang around him. They were drawn to him, okay? And he liked them. And what's odd when you read the, Bi when you read the Bible, the only people that Jesus kind of didn't like were people who taught that God only liked good people, okay? Um, now, this didn't make much sense to the Pharisees because why didn't you want to spend time with them? I mean, they were more godly than these other people, you know, and Jesus claimed to be from God. So right now, I just want you to know, right now, if you were a first century Jew with all of your quirks and your hangups and your weirdness, if you met Jesus, he would like you, okay? And I think the reason that, you know, sometimes, you know, if it's hard for you to get there because, you know, Will, you don't even know what I did last night, that's okay because maybe we've missed something about the love of God, okay? Maybe it's bigger than you've imagined. Maybe it's more unconditional than you ever thought. 
Now, everybody struggles this, th with this idea of what does God think about me? You know, every, everybody in every religion uh, struggles with this idea. I mean, could God really love me no matter what I do? And nothing I can do can make him love me less? All of us struggle with this. And Jesus was on earth. The people in the first century struggled with this as well. Listen, guys, one of the primary reasons Jesus came was to explain what God was like, okay? So Jesus finds himself between two peoples, okay? You have the law keepers and the law breakers. You got the do-gooders and the not-so-do-gooders, okay? And he has them both in. So Jesus starts to tell a story so that he can bring them all together where they're in agreement on something, okay? Um, both groups thought that God's opinion was shaped on them. You know, you had the people that, that, um, that did everything right, and then you people that didn't know where they were going to stand with God because they pretty much did everything wrong. So Jesus did everything in his power to explain to them, you've both got it wrong. God doesn't view you that way, the way that people view you or even the way culture views you. So one day they're having a conversation, and it all kind of comes to a head, okay, when Jesus tells a story, and it's one of his most famous um, but I think that for some of us, it's never really made it from here to here. Um, and I hope that at, through our time together today, um, that we can really look at uh, the story with new eyes today. It's called the prodigal's son. So Jesus has two different groups in his audience. Um, they don't actually, it's called the prodigal's son, but I'm actually not a big fan about that because how many sons are there in this story? There's two. There's two sons in this story. Um, so bad on the editors there. Um, so Jesus has two groups in his audience and they don't even like each other. They're so opposite in every single way. So Jesus starts to draw them together where they're in agreement on something. So let's start off in Luke 15, verse one. And we're gonna be a lot of starting and stopping here, okay? I just wanna uh, camp on a few things. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Let's pause, okay? Do you know what this implies? Um, the implication of this is, is that no one ever had to make somebody go to church if Jesus was speaking, okay? The people who were the least interested in church, uh, they couldn't wait to gather and hear Jesus, okay? So if there's something in you that is really judgy about church, maybe you hate church, okay? It's because you've never been confronted with Jesus. You wouldn't despise or hate Jesus, okay? You would like him. And more importantly, he would like you. Okay, verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, great word, muttered, uh, this man welcomes some sinners and eat with, eats with them. Why were they muttering? Because they couldn't understand this. Here's a man that claimed to be from God, and he doesn't hang around godly people. Okay, here's a man that claims to be from God, and people who ungodly liked him. And what is apparent, what's even more crazy, is that it seems that he likes them. I mean, doesn't he know what they've done? Doesn't he know how they've behaved? They had no category for this, and neither did the sinners or the tax collectors, okay? They liked Jesus, he liked them, and he was nothing like them. But there was something different about him, something special, something wholesome, authoritative, something holy. He wasn't like other people that claimed to be godly, okay? They weren't put off by Jesus. They were drawn to him. So here, Jesus realizes that he has both audiences and he uses this opportunity to explain the truth about how God feels about every single person, okay? Jesus begins to tell them three parables and parable is a made-up story that Jesus uses to make a real point and to teach something that's absolutely true. Jesus, in his brilliant way, um, starts with his whole audience in mind. So he tells his audience um, the first parable 
And then at the end of the first parable, everybody is like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if I had 99 sheep and one was lost, I'd leave them and I'd go find it, right? And the second one was about a woman who lost a coin, okay, who turned her whole house upside down to find it. And they were all like, yeah, yeah, that's what we do. We, we, we'd ransack the place just to find that coin. Because when you lose something, guys, you, you put a lot of energy into finding it. So they're all in agreement and they're all leaning in to hear what Jesus has to say. He's freaking genius. Then Jesus gets to his point and he tells them the third parable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Now I'm going to embellish this a little bit so you can get the gravity and the emotion of this. This was in this time and age, this was a very emotional story. Uh, one day the younger son went up to his father and says, dad, when you die, I'm going to get a boatload of money. But you just won't die, okay? So do me a favor, okay? Just give me what's coming to me. Give me my inheritance. I'll be dead to you, and you'll be dead to me. Now, as Jesus was telling the story, even the worst of the sinners or tax collectors were like, bro, he went there. He like, dude, that is crazy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a tax collector, and I wouldn't say that to my father. So Jesus sets up the story with the most extreme example imaginable. So extreme that everyone in the audience is like, dude, this kid is doomed. He is so going to die. Okay. And then to everyone's shock and awe, the father says, okay. So he divided his property between them. Um, the son basically takes his inheritance and leaves and goes to a faraway land. So basically he like moves to New York, you know, and he gets a, car, a couple of cars and he gets a cool pad, makes a lot of friends he could party with, you know. And then the girls, my goodness, the girls, you know, and blows it all. And everyone in Jesus' audience is like, oh, oh my gosh, you couldn't even make this any worse. This is the worst case father-son scenario. You couldn't even add anything to it to make it more emotional. And I was trying to figure out how I can explain to you. We can keep reading, but um, I found this image a couple of years ago I want to share with you because nothing kind of evokes this more than this image. It kind of works out. Um, this was done about four years ago in India. There was a 22-year-old boy who had his birthday party, um, and his parents bought him a brand new BMW, but it wasn't the Jaguar that he wanted, so he drove it into the river. Okay. Now, you, some of you guys know me. What would happen to my son <laughs> if he did this? There would be a reckoning, okay? There would be blood, you know? So, uh, okay, now take that feeling and magnify it by like 500. That's how shocking a story like this was to this culture. Okay, it says after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole world and country and he began to be in need. So after he spent all his money, they kicked him out because he couldn't pay the rent, repoed his cars. Friends left him because he wasn't any good to foot the bill anymore and so did the girls. So he had to get a job. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who uh, uh, sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now put your Jewish hat on real quick. Pigs are an unclean animal, okay, to Jews. So everybody in the audience was like, oh, oh, oh! You know, they were shocked. A Jew feeding pigs? Now, the Pharisees are like, that's right. That's what he deserves. Get him, Jesus. Get him. Okay? This is such an emotional story. And, you know, they sort of, the scribes and the Pharisees, they kind of expected this story to end, okay? Except, didn't he start out by telling us a couple of other stories? Kind of about a sheep. He's going to come around to that, didn't he? Something about a lost coin? 
But surely this is about being lost and found. I mean, look at what this kid does, man. He needs to stay lost. Look at what he did to his father. Then Jesus said in, in Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I mean, even my father treats his servants better than where I'm at. Okay, so I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, pause. So right now, the younger brother's preparing a speech because he knows he can't just go back and wander in if nothing's happened. Okay, I mean, look at what he's done because he's expecting his father to act the way that he would be if he was the father. He's expecting the father to be mad, to say, you know, what do you want? How could you? What happened? Where's the money? Okay, I told you so. So now he has to have a really, really good apology speech or he's not even going to get on the property. So he prepares this speech and it's not unlike a speech that many of us give to God. Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Sorry, Kendall, that was the best Shakespeare I got. Um, he, now, he knows he can never be a son again. Look at, because of what he's done. He just wants a job so he can eat. So he got up and went to his father rehearsing his speech probably the entire way there. Now, he was a long way off. His father saw him, and that implies that even after everything that happened um, and after what it could have been years, the father was still looking for his son, and he was still waiting. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with, what, what's the next word? Compassion. Now, let me ask this about you. Has it ever crossed your mind that when God thinks about you, that when he looks at you, that he would feel compassion, okay? Has it ever crossed your mind that even on your darkest day, you know, when that cat habit came in, it's got a stranglehold on, on you, you know, uh, you had a blowout with your spouse, you mainly know it's your fault or re overreacted with your kids again, you cheated on your test, you were dishonest at work, even on your worst day, if you were to think about what does God think when God thinks about me, did it ever cross your mind that God looked at you and felt compassion? This is at the center of what Jesus wanted to explain to them. The father saw a son that insulted him, threw away his inheritance, abused the grace he was given. Yet, um, I mean, he couldn't have done anything to make it any worse. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, I want you to know that in every parable, there's somebody in it that represents God and somebody that represents you or somebody in his audience. Um, what do you think the sinners and the tax collectors represent in this story? Uh, who do you think they represent? Maybe somebody that's on the other side of the line of faith, they're still working on how, how this all works. Uh, who, do, who do the Pharisees and the teachers of the law represent here? Um, you know, the Pharisees, they haven't figured this out yet, but um, uh, we'll see as the story keeps going. So the sinners and the tax collectors are like, okay, we definitely are the prodigal in this story, okay? And the, if the father is somehow God, there is no way in the world that God looks at me with compassion. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who don't know who they are in this story yet um, because they're, they know they're not the prodigal because they're good, okay? And they know they're not the father, but they're listening to this story and they're just like, there's no way that God feels compassion for these people because neither group understands. Continues, he ran to his son, threw, around his, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Luke 15, 18, the son said to him, now he's about to give his speech. Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But it's like the father isn't even listening. It doesn't matter to him. The father said to his servants, quick, bring their best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet, and instantly, he's a son again. He has all the trappings of sonship, which means the father never withdrew sonship from him in the first place. 
Verse 23, that the father had the fattened calf killed so they could have a feast and celebrate. And he's instantly restored. The speech is irrelevant. Now, both sides of Jesus' audience are like, are you kidding me? This is what God is like? And now, meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So uh, he called one of the servants and he asked what was going on. And the servant says, um, your dad's kind of having a party in the middle of the day. And he's like, why is he having a party in the middle of the day? Um, you know your brother that did all that, huh? Well, he's back, and your dad's throwing a party, and you know the fatted calf, the best prized animal that we have? Yeah, he had us kill it for the party. It's on the back barbecue right now, you know? Um, and so the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all of these years, I've been slaving for you. Now, what he's doing here is the older brother's version of the younger brother's speech. Because the younger brother was like, Father, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. And the older brother is like, I have, I have, I have. After all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I'm obedient. I'm a law keeper. I do it right. Okay, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not this brother of mine, but when this son of yours, okay, has squandered your property with prostitutes. Dad, dad, hookers. Dad, he's been with hookers, okay? Okay, when he comes, you kill the fatty calf for him. Okay, now the Pharisees are starting to see who they are in the story because they felt the same way about the younger brother. My son, the father said, you were always with me. Now, what we might think he said is, my son, you have always obeyed me. But guys, that's really not the issue. That's never been the issue in way that God views you, ever. My son, you've always been with me. And now your brother is with me. Wait a second, Jesus, I'm confused. Are, do you mean that with is a bigger deal than do? Are you telling me that with is a bigger deal than obey? Are you trying to tell me that closeness with God is a bigger deal than trying to manufacture some kind of righteousness in my own life? My, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost to me. He was dead to me and now he is with me. He's found. Now the lawbreakers and the bad doers, uh, they're like, wait a second, that's how God thinks about me? And the Pharisees are like, wait, it's with and not do? Well, let me ask you a question. Um, which brother did the father love more? Well, let me ask you this way. Who do you think God loves more, you or me? And you gotta, before you answer, you've got to remember now, I'm a pastor. Okay? Okay? What, okay, what, about, what about Pastor Eric or Pastor Ty? Okay, let me answer that question. I believe that if you continue to believe or you just can't escape thinking that God picks up a big old filter and puts it up between you and then puts it up to Pastor Eric to see who he loves more, then my contention is the older you are, the less he loves you. See, when I was like 16, I only had 16 years of sin for God to look through. You know, I'm going to be 50, I'm 54 this year, okay? I, I'm 54 years old. Do you know how much sin that is? Some of you guys in this room, you're like 74. Some of you guys have so much sin, it's like, oh, 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 you can't even pick up your lens anymore. There's so much sin. I think it'd probably be better if we'd all just kick the bucket at 10. What can you do at 10 years old, you know? Isn't it, seen it strange how we think? So here's what God did. God said, 
they're all hopeless, okay? And there's no degree of hopelessness. Hopeless is hopeless. So God did, this is what God said. I'm gonna remove the sin from the equation completely. I'm gonna remove do from the equation completely. Now, if you're a bit uncomfortable and there's a little bit of judgmentalism in you, it's because sometimes you may have a tendency to look across the aisle at the other tax collectors and sinners and say, but I never. And God says, so what? Okay, I don't love them because of what they've done and what they haven't done. And I don't love you because of what you've done. Okay, do is off the table. Here's what I know, because there's this guy named Paul uh, who's done more sin and more damage and more evil than you will ever do in your life. There's this guy named Paul who had people put to death because they believed in Jesus. And after looking at stories like this and reflecting on his own life, um, he kind of summarized everything in Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates, uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates, what's the next word? His love, not my love, his love. Okay, demonstrates his love for us, um, not my kind of love, but demonstra- God demonstrates God love, okay? A, a God love that doesn't take its cues from you or me, the sinner, or you, the better person, and you probably the better person, and Pastor Ty, the better, better, better person, you know? See, God's kind of love doesn't take its cues that way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, in the first century, there were plenty of people that were just living their lives, doing their thing. They, they were people that were on the other side of the world that had no idea that there was a guy in Jerusalem that was being crucified and died for them. And Paul writes that while they were still sinning, while we were all still messing around, Jesus was in Jerusalem and he died for you because he loves you. Our, all culture, we'd say it like this, before you were even born to sin, before you have an idea and had an opportunity to say, yes, no, do something bad, um, God said, I'm gonna take care of the, the sin issue between me and my beloved. That's why John could write, for God so loved the world. Really, John? The whole world? How can you say that? How do you know? How can you say it was the whole world? Because it wasn't world love. It was God love. For God so loved the world, he didn't require, he gave, okay, his only son, that whoever, tax collector, sinner, Pharisee, pastor, okay, that whoever believes in, puts faith in, okay, it's a gift. Eternal life. But did you know that before you made that decision or after you made that decision, God removed the sin offering, uh, the sin from impeding upon his love for you? Because while you were still a sinner, Christ went ahead and died for you. And that's a completely different category of love. It's disturbing. It's too extreme. There's another word for it. It's called grace. And we sing about it. It's what we celebrate. Guys, and if this idea goes from here to here, it will impact every single one of your relationships. You will forgive faster. You will forgive yourself faster, okay? You will think differently about the people that you pass in the street, the people that live in your neighborhood, people that don't look like you, people that don't drive what you drive, people that don't live where you live, okay? People that speak a different language. When you come eye to eye with somebody else that's made in the image of God that Jesus was willing to die for, how dare I mistreat that person? But even for those that, I mean, I don't know which side you are in the line of faith. God couldn't love you more and he's taken sin out of the equation and his salvation is available to anyone who will receive it. But even for those who don't receive him, I want you to know that God loves you and he couldn't love you any more. And nothing you can do can make him love you any less. But he doesn't love you because of anything you've done. 
what God thinks about when God thinks about you and me? He loves us. He just loves us. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for your word. Thank you for the stories that um, help us give insight into who you are. Father, I pray that this, um, the truth of your love, the fact that you've uh, selected us and poured your beautiful grace upon us, Father, um, that we would be reminded of it daily, Father God, that this would sink down into our daily bones so we wouldn't keep trying to earn it because we don't have to because you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.